gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Sketch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. And yes, this is the second episode in which we are discussing the same book, Ethan. We're not talking about Scotch. That's, yep. See, I, I, I was like, okay, this time I'm gonna wait until Michael gives me a really obvious cue. Even if he, <laughs> like, stops and it's clear that I'm supposed to, you know, supposed to go, like... I'm going to wait for you mm-hmm. to say something really obvious. But then instead, you just, like, powered straight through the part <laughs> where last time you had given me a cue. And, like, it's just, you're just, like, two gotta, steps gotta, ahead of me. I gotta keep you on your toes, see? It's, this is a boxing match between host and guest. That's that's uh, that's Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. I mean, I don't like that it's an, another sports metaphor. <laughs> hey, but you didn't make it this time. That is true. <laughs> I didn't make one last time because I don't think. No, you... really... Well, okay. Is poker a sport? We don't. That's not what this episode is about. That's, is it in hour... the Olympics? Is it in the Olympics? Wait, lots of things are in the Olympics that aren't sports. Okay, see, this is why I tried to veer right away from asking that question because, like, this is an hour-long discussion. That's right. So, like, we need to get to the point because it's not in the Olympics, but it is broadcast on ESPN. Oh, see? Okay. Well. See, this is why. Okay, we can't do this. No, we can't. We can't talk about this. Michael, save us. Okay, uh, Ethan, we're drinking scotch, right? We're not going to talk about this scotch, but let's talk about this scotch that we're drinking. Yes. Uh, We're drinking Highland Park 12-year-old Viking Honor single malt scotch whiskey. Yes. And I know we we did kind of our unboxing thing, um uh last time but i do want to to mention like probably should mention uh in just keeping with the show that we are on the box itself that the bottle comes out of um yes on one side there is like a poem or like a monologue or something yeah right um it's beautiful it, it really is yeah and makes me cry and also want to stare across the fjords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, we're not going to read it to you, I don't think. No. But this is our paid promotion for Highland Highland Park. Um, yes. And, like, I think as we've said... To, to force you to get the box. Just kidding. We didn't get paid for this. We do it on our own. No. That's and right. I think you were but, about to say what I was about to say, which is... Well, go ahead. You say it. That if if Highland Park did pay us to do, like, mm-hmm. native advertising for their Scott, like, we are not above only drinking Highland Park Scott yes. for the rest of this podcast. As we have said on previous episodes of this podcast, if any distillery wanted to sponsor our show and ask us to drink only their liquors... Yes, we would do that. <laughs> and to be clear, like, by sponsor, we don't mean, like, pay us a real salary. We would just take scotch. Just just give us bottles for free. We would take it, That's and we would advertise we it, and that would, that we would drink that on the yes. show. Yes. We're not above that. If you want to, like, send us over a master <laughs> distiller to do, like, a special Ooh. episode where we actually oh, see, learn how to taste like, scotch... Now that would be an interesting sort of feature to this. When we do get sponsored by a distillery somewhere down the line, we need to like instead of introducing 
Yes. Uh, instead of <laughs> introducing the scotch every time, which, you know, there are different uh, different uh, barrels and, and ages and yeah. and stuff from different dist- from from even one distillery you know um yeah. so like we can do that and we can vary it up a little bit but then like that only goes so far we need to have like people from that distillery coming in and talking about it we need to have master tasters coming in and talking about it we need to you know get get some some more yeah you know I'm, I'm i'm seeing where this podcast can go ethan yeah yeah it's um it's a beautiful thing it is um so, before we drink this Highland Park 12-year-old Viking Hunter single malt scotch whiskey, though, uh, we need your wife to tell us what the rules are. Oh, that's going to be difficult. Hmm. Because she is on the ro- Wait. Okay, she's on the road right now, but I'm going to just call her up. Okay. Um, and then she's going to... Uh, like she's gonna read the rules into her phone, and I'm gonna hold my phone up to the microphone. Oh, okay, we'll all right, that sounds way. great. That that'll work as long as it's you know audible, not not the app, but yeah, the you. adjective. Hello, hello, Karen. Hello, Karen. I don't care whose house you're at. You have to read the rules. All right, listen, Mister Downey Jr. can wait. You have to read the rules now. <laughs> Rule one, once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two, no one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. All right, thank you, Karen. Tell Robert Downey Jr. I said hi. <laughs> oh, with that. Lachaim. Slancha. All right. Now, Ethan. Yes, Michael. We're discussing Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. I would like it to, to note that um, anytime I say either of our names... 
like I feel guilty because I can't keep track of which part of the podcast name I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> like I feel like I'm about to get in trouble when I say Michael or Ethan. Well, you always are if you do in fact say either of our names. I mean, it always true. signals trouble. There's there's no uh, such thing as me saying our names without something troublesome happening. <laughs> it's true. Um sorry, I just I was thought I'd try to, to kill your flow. Thank you for doing Uh that. Uh What I was going to say is last episode, we didn't really talk about one thing. We did? The plot. We didn't didn't talk about the plot of this. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, I'm not even sure what plot is. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) It's, It's a valid response. (laughs) um now i i want to mention this because okay on the the little blurb on the back of my copy yeah um it talks about the the two characters that featured in uh the segment my uh names with michael um lily and snowflower how they become lao tong or old sames um they're these like eternal sisters that get arranged that way and then they go through foot binding marriages etc uh the last two sentences of this little blurb are the two find solace developing a bond that keeps their spirits alive but when a misunderstanding arises their deep friendship suddenly threatens to tear apart now ethan that little bit right there signals to me what I, as the reader, should expect when reading this book, the plot to be. Sure. So, what was I looking for the entire time reading this book? Was it a a misunderstanding? A misunderstanding! (laughs) A misunderstanding. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Ethan, would you like to tell me what I found instead? Um, I'm gonna say not a misunderstanding. Not a misunderstanding. Not a misunderstanding. What? But what? In in the positive, what did I find? An understanding. An understanding. Sorry, I I had a I you know two two paths diverged in a yellow wood. Um, oh yeah. I had one where I like answer the questions in sort of a helpful way that furthers the discussion <laughs> and i had one where i answered the questions as if i was an eighth grader who didn't do the reading assignment see i, I know, know that is I the choose. map that is in your mind for every decision you make so i should have been prepared for this <laughs> yeah absolutely um no to, to actually try to do a good job for once uh i don't know exactly what you think about because I I'm getting snagged because I think I I okay. understand what the supposed misunderstanding was. Sure, but I I don't know. I mean, actually, when you read that blurb out, um, I had two thoughts. The first one was this is yes. why I don't read blurbs on books. Like I don't mm-hmm. ever read the back cover, the inside flap more any more than I have to because usually they reveal like two thirds of the plot. Um, yeah. It's really obnoxious. Which is, that's a whole rant I don't have to go on. But, um, again, for once. The the second thought I had was, like, that's a heck of a misunderstanding. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess, like, 
I don't know. Again, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll just spin my wheels forever trying to figure out exactly what you thought. But, like, my thought was, it's a misunderstanding that does tear their friendship apart. Or, mm-hmm. it's very much not a misunderstanding, and it's, like, a set of deliberate actions that do tear their friendship apart. Like, sure. I don't know. Maybe this is this is a getting off the the path that you were that you were laying out for us in this lovely yellow wood. But um, <laughs> it might, like when I read that when I read that sentence on the blurb when it says a, a misunderstanding threatens to tear their friendship apart, like what that feels like to me is setting up. And it's again, it's literally two thirds of the plot. If you're if you're uh, um, mm-hmm. talking about it in hollywood screenplay you know formula terms like what i expect is the first two acts um of the movie are this you know this friendship getting created and and growing and then like either the midpoint or like the flip into act three is some it's romantic comedy right it's some devastating misunderstanding and then like they break up for a few months or something and i mean it's pride and prejudice like you know, mm-hmm. they, they at sort of the the climactic point in Act Three, they there's a reversal and they figure out it was all just a misunderstanding, and then they live happily ever after. Um, mm-hmm. And it certainly doesn't have to be that. Like it could be that you know the the misunderstanding is is like someone I don't know. There's you know there's any number of ways you can go with it, but like well of... you know that's like the difference between comedy and tragedy the misunderstanding gets resolved comedy the misunderstanding goes on tragedy exactly and this feels like though though it feels tragic it feels mm-hmm. like neither of those things in the classic plot sure. tropey way so michael i'm going to to try to bring this back and um maybe recover <laughs> my grade in these episodes um uh-huh, and ask uh-huh. you michael what did you find <laughs> oh excellent excellent question <laughs> even um, yes I'll take my uh, well extra what credit i f- after class sure well what i found was several misunderstandings none of which destroyed their friendship a, a number of which um um maybe damaged their friendship and yeah. um i saw the fatal flaw of lily growing sure throughout the the novel um as she became more and more prideful and self-centered and um uh, allowed a, a sort of wall to be built between her and snowflower yeah um that was that was something that grow grew growed wow listen to me it grew yeah. a little bit uh along the way uh, it done, done grewed, as we say in it done it done grewed. Yes, it done grewed right up that there wall. Yep. Um, uh, and so I mean, like little things like the impression of uh, Snowflower's social status that mm. the impression was that she was so high up, but then and that this this Tong relationship would elevate Lily but it turned out to be more or less the opposite uh anyway that's that's like maybe the start of it but there there are a couple other little things here and there that there are misunderstandings things hidden things secret between them but the ultimate misunderstanding that i think the blurb on the back is talking about doesn't come until this far through the book yes <laughs> 
Again, um, this is why I don't read back cover or whatever back cover flap uh, blurbs. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and for for those who aren't watching the podcast, that's uh, all the way up at uh, approximately page two fifteen out of two hundred and fifty eight pages. Yes. Um. So, uh, with and, and that that misunderstanding is this um, uh, in connection with this letter of vituperation, uh, that Snowflower seeks some comfort in other women not her Tong, not Lily, right. um, for all of her miseries, all of the things that she has suffered. Just she wants that sort of um, emotional support, emotional outlet uh, and acceptance um, for her various griefs and so forth that Lily hasn't been showing for her. Um and so Lily interprets that as she's leaving her, essentially cheating on her by taking sworn sisters, which is apparently a um, mutually exclusive category. You can't have a Lao Tong and secret or er, sworn sisters. Right. Um, that's a fun little detail to this uh, cultural dynamic. Um, so that's that's what uh, Lily assumes, and um, Snowflower is seeing the wrongs that Lily has done and Lily at least in terms of the society wins mm-hmm. in that misunderstanding um, yeah. and Snowflower just declines and declines and declines until closer to the end when she goes back and learns what the misunderstanding was that no she didn't actually take sworn sisters but Lily had actually done her an emotional grievance by not listening to her and caring for her right Okay, so all of that said, Ethan, with this misunderstanding taking place at page 215, is it fair to say that that misunderstanding is a key player in the plot of the novel? I mean, I this is just kind of piggybacking off kind of a bunch of the things you just said, but like, hmm. at that point, misunderstanding just seems like such a bad word for it okay Um, because like in the in the the answer to the question like is the misunderstanding key to the to the plot in a sense yes but i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just interpreting the word wrong to me misunderstanding implies something that can be resolved or maybe there's an attempt Mm. at a resolution um but like thinking that Juliet is dead when in fact she's just drugged exactly um uh yeah or um but yeah so like to me that's that's a that's a really good example of a misunderstanding this feels even though there is misunderstanding in it this feels much more like uh, it's like when you, if instead of saying, you know, the misunderstanding threatens the friendship, it's like the misunderstanding destroys the friendship. Hmm. Like, it's it's key to the plot in a sense, but it's something that's been built toward hmm. rather than, like, it, it's, it's what the plot almost concludes rather than what the plot... Is incited with? Yeah, or, or is 
is about or something um Mm. because to me that point that that reading out of the letter of vituperation structurally speaking that's sort of the climax of the novel yes um in the in the sense that this is what everything before it's been building to it shatters the you know the the world of the novel the status quo of the novel has already certainly suffered many blows but that letter of vituperation shatters it and most key everything else after that basically reads like falling action and denouement in the Mm -hmm. sense that like like everything everything after that is just fallout from the letter of vituperation or reaction to to the letter of vituperation nothing after it um reverses the the effect of it or the result of it Mm -hmm. um and you know i don't i don't think necessarily it has to be that way i think you know this i mean it would it would change it would be a very different novel but theoretically you could have had this be um you know the letter of vituperation is just again i've been reading a lot about screenplay structure recently so like there's like the flip into act three that leads to the climax but isn't like the the vituperation thing could have been the flip into act three and then the climax could have been resolving that much sooner um Mm -hmm. if lily and snowflower had been allowed to have a scene where they like worked things out or had the fight and resolved it or something like that but um you know i'm not saying that would be better it'd probably be a worse and certainly a less um daring story to tell in some ways Mm -hmm. uh would be much more much more sort of hollywood conventional to do it that way um but yeah i guess i guess my point is that like even worse than a lot of of uh back cover or book flap blurbs um that give away like the first two-thirds of the plot this basically gives away the plot up to the climax right but it does it in such like right. inaccurate terms that you wouldn't necessarily know that i guess is the only right. saving grace right like it, it, as i read that and then as i read the novel that my first thought was that like reversal of their fortunes yeah. sort of or the revelation that their fortunes were the opposite of what was expected right. um but that didn't fall out in any big way and so i thought well that's not it i guess right um so i was left kind of squandering so as far as backflap sort of blurb thing goes sure it didn't it did nothing. It did nothing. That's yeah. that's what I'll say. It did nothing. Um, so yes, that 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 letter of vituperation is the climax of the novel. Uh, I'll I'll solidify that for you, <laughs> right there. Sure. Um, I forget how old they are at that point. Um, it might be they're thirty. Mid, I was gonna say mid twenties, late twenties, maybe thirty. Maybe thirty. Um, but then. Uh, it's like 10 years later when Snowflower dies. Yes. And the the rest of what happens, um, I, is it the next chapter? It's, uh, yeah, I think it is. It's the next chapter when Snowflower dies. And so much is summarized 
in there so many years and, and that's something yeah. that just happens throughout the novel anyway that a lot of years are compressed right here and there when it's like nothing interesting happened here or i'll just highlight the interesting bits right here but no no distinct moments need to be highlighted and narrated in specific detail um so the very next chapter after the letter of vituperation which is called into the clouds um Oh, there it says eight years passed right at the beginning sure. uh, of that chapter. And then uh, she was 42 years old um, at the end of that uh, that first paragraph. Um, that's when she gets news about Snowflower dying. Right. Uh, and so Snowflower dies and she hears about how she really had wronged Snowflower. She hadn't understood her pain she hadn't listened she had just given advice right. uh in the face of her grief uh in all of those things and she hadn't actually the, the misunderstanding is part of that um where lily had interpreted interpreted it as an adultery of sorts right that snowflower had gone and taken these sworn sisters but these women who were supposedly the sworn sisters said no that never happened and the letter she wrote to you or the the details she wrote to you on this secret fan never said that she took us as sworn sisters which is where that ambiguity comes in in the language itself um so that happened she's 42 years old and then the next chapter in the next section which is in the sitting quietly bit the chapter um called regret the second paragraph says, after Snowflower died, I still had half of my life ahead of me. Right. So this death of Snowflower, this revelation of this was the misunderstanding happens is right at the center of her life. Right. Um, so in that sense, this misunderstanding is kind of key and right at the right at the crux of yeah. everything here, at least chronologically. Right. But... What I think is more significant is what you said that everything kind of led up to that, that that's the climax. That's not the, the the way that blurb describes it is this misunderstanding is going to lead to plot happening. It's going to right. lead to what's going to occur. No, everything else led up to that misunderstanding, um, which it's more than just a misunderstanding. <laughs> the, right. mi- the misunderstanding was like maybe 25 percent of what was going on in right. there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was going on was this cultural perspective on things that, you know, we talked about this last episode, this demonization of the foot binding versus the idolization of foot binding. And there's a middle road in there that a novelist should take. Right. Um, that Lisa C. walks that line really, really well. Um, and I think that's in part... Not necessarily with footbinding is itself. It's in part demonstrated by these two characters of Lily and Snowflower. That Snowflower is having a, such a hard time dealing with the emotional realities of things, um, and what she should do going forward. And Lily is having a hard time accepting the emotional reality and instead just saying this is what i have to do it's it's that that uh, debate between um the the duty and feeling right (laughs) and that's that's kind of the two sides uh of of these two women 
and one leans one way, one leans the other way. And what the if game here, if they were to be on the same page and reconcile perfectly, then they would have that perfect blend of those two things. Right. But that's where they're not meeting on those things. Right. Uh, now, the the Sworn Sisters, who aren't Snowflower's Sworn Sisters, um, point out that Snowflower just, she did everything that Lily asked her to do. Lily, you know, Snowflower would say, I'm grieving the miscarriage of my child or um, the death of my son or the beatings that I'm getting from my husband, whatever. Right. And Snowflower, and Lily would say, well, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And Snowflower would do it. Um, so in that sense, that's where the blame is put squarely on Lily's shoulders. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily want to debate that aspect itself because sure. that's how the novel presents it right 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 um snowflower maybe she had faults you know she didn't reveal everything she didn't she wasn't totally honest with lily did she have her reasons sure um and but lily also had her reasons for what she did <laughs> right. yeah. um so that's that's just this interesting connection here about this this grief and that's that's where that that is the heart of this story which in that note about the writing of the novel that yeah. Lisa C put at the end here, where you know she had that accident and went to the coma, and that was halfway through writing the book, right. I like she had to do some pretty good rewrites. <laughs> yeah. After being halfway through writing, to make that the heart of the book. Right. Because that's exactly it. This like I'm feeling this. My friends aren't responding the way I'm expecting them to. The, the way I counted on them to other people are. Yeah. I don't know. So that's, I, I ranted a little bit there. No, that's, what do you think? That's, <laughs> I mean, I, I have no, I have nothing to add and I have nothing to debate really. Like you, you kind of said it all. Um, I think that debate about, you know, is, is Snowflower or is uh, Lily being unreasonable Mm. you know is is snowflower being unreasonable whose fault is it that feels like the um book club guide set of questions that you know we always <laughs> complain about like oh just wait <laughs> um, we'll get there but you know like it's you could use this book as a jumping off point to debate something like that but i agree that mm-hmm. like that's not the that's not what the book is about. That's not what the plot is about. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get off the topic of plot, uh, if we yes. ever do, um, I just yeah. want to, I just really, it's it's only tangentially related to anything you just said, but I do want to emphasize how like just amazing this book is on a craft level. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I've talked some about it before. I critiqued some of the craft stuff as far as, like, Info Dumps last episode, though. It was probably the lightest critique of Info Dumps I've ever done. Um, <laughs> but, like, just... Especially because, like, this book could exist with the lightest of touches... Or lightest of attention, I guess, paid to plot. Because the mm. idea of, like, transporting us to this 
completely different culture and time um and and having that be in the book and like all of this research that lisa c did like excuse me there are quite successful novels that exist that are just just uh just barely um novels as opposed to like historical recreations right like this could have been that. This could have just been a, a almost vin, like extended vignette portrait of yeah. a time and a place. And honestly, I don't think that would be a bad thing or an unskillful thing no. to do all by itself. Um, but Lisa C. really masterfully crafts a, a almost cla- like i don't want to bring i don't want this to seem like it's cultural imperialism but like an almost (laughs) masterfully like greek tragedy um, yes of a plot including and you touched on some of these you know in a in a slightly different context but multiple reversals like Mm -hmm. the reveal that um you know really ultimately lily is uplifting snowflower rather than the other way around that comes mm-hmm. like what maybe halfway through the book maybe more than that it's such a good twist like it is um you know i think uh i know from and the explanation for it makes so much sense right. too that like the yeah. that just the clothes that snowflower has been wearing and how lily yeah. interprets it and just makes these assumptions that it's like that... oh she's trying not to shame us by wearing the same thing again and again and again it's an agatha <laughs> christie or other like masterful yes mystery novelist style and i know that like Lisa C., at least from the the um, ancillary stuff in this book, she's written thrillers and she's written, you know, some of these more mm. what, uh, you know, 50 years ago we'd call pulpy styles of, of oh, writing. Sure. And I think she brings that in here because, like, she, again, Agatha Christie, like, very skillfully uses things she's given us and explained to us and um, given us every chance to understand that there's another side to this and still manages to surprise us with this idea of like oh it's the you know the and she uses the first person narrator very skillfully to do this um but the idea that like everything you were presented with in the first half of the book suddenly is upside down like it's all still there but it's the opposite of what you thought it was um Mm -hmm. And then even the, you know, to to build, it's almost like a slow burn tragedy, which you can do, you know, in a novel where you can spend 75, 100,000 words versus a, a play that's probably 15 or 20,000. Mm-hmm. But um, some of these other reversals with Lily sl- somewhat slowly climbing the social ladder while um, uh, Snowflower somewhat slowly descends it going Um, yep Mm -hmm. and then the cruelty of at least from lily's perspective reflecting on her own actions the cruelty of lily's actions um in the face of snowflowers like graciousness um Mm -hmm. you know that the the idea that like snowflower when she had the power was very gracious whereas lily as soon as she got any power was essentially very cruel um mm-hmm. you know that's that's obviously sort of a uh um broad strokes both analysis and summary like like i'm leaving out a lot of potential nuance there but like 
just just the way that that Lisa C weaves all of that in together is like like very cool, mm-hmm. very skillful. Um, yes, <laughs> just you know, very meticulously well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, like Neil Gaiman uh, once said something about Terry Pratchett about how Pratchett was the type of author that. If he was a stage magician, the other magicians would all gather in the back row and study him very closely and be like, oh, he did that trick so well, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like, as someone who has like spent a ton of time reading and analyzing literature in my life, like some of the stuff Lisa C. did, it was like, oh, I can see exactly how you're doing that and what you're doing yep. and why. But you do it so well that like mm-hmm. I have nothing but respect for that. Like exactly, yes. Oh, uh, the craft, the craft of this novel is just something else. Yeah, and, and so you and like I talk have about double. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have double respect for it because of the thing that I started off saying that like she didn't have to do any of that. She could have written this no. novel quite successfully without all of that. It's it's just like virtuoso stuff. Yeah, well, and that's, I think I mentioned before, um, Orson Scott Card said something about how, like, a fantasy novel, going back to fantasy novels, like we yeah. talked about in the first episode, yeah, yeah. Um, can can be just a, a, a milieu novel. Right. That it's it just exploring the place. Right. Just, like, here's the topography we're just exploring and, and learning it, about this, this location. Probably. It can the, also be. Go ahead, yeah. sorry. Well, it can also be about the plot. Yes. Uh, um, I, 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 or it could be about characters. It could be, you yes. know, those, uh, I, I, all those. Lisa C. managed to do all of those. Yeah. And it, I think, in like, this novel. a historical novel, like, mm-hmm. is probably the only other genre other than maybe a science fiction or fantasy novel mm-hmm. um, that, like, you can you can almost discuss them in the same or very similar terms. That like right. a historical novel is probably the only genre, maybe other than a fantasy novel, that can just be about exploring a setting. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. Like Lisa C does all of that. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. you know, again, as as someone who dabbles in juggling, it's it's the feeling of like what someone who dabbles in juggling and who dabbles in writing, it's the feeling of like seeing someone who does a version of something you can do but does it so much more skillfully or, or at least just so skillfully Which, that it's like it you just it just leaves you it creates kind of this awe. twin emotion of like i'm inspired to try to do more but should i even try yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes no that's exactly right um well and that ties in um so you know with these reversals that you're talking about that are like very yeah hellenistic yeah that's what that was in that i guess i didn't bring that around but like you know Mm -hmm. obviously in greek greek tragedy we talk about um oh man theater 101 i invoked peter bladel's name in the last episode and he's gonna be ashamed of me and now he yep is it hamarsha Um, hamarsha is the the flaw the fatal flaw yeah uh i'm trying to think of the one that's like the the tragic reversal Oh, um, poof. No, I'm not gonna. Mm. Um, and I know Greek. 
And I'm failing at this. Uh, nope. Did I just Google per, uh, Peripatia? Oh, yeah, Para, the Peripatia. Yep. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Okay. Yeah. Yep. I did just Google tragic reversal word. Um, <laughs> and this has been the yeah the, today's edition of A Man Who Googles. <laughs> um, anyway, like, it's a classical, it's like multiple classical Peripatias. Peripatia, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you pluralize that. Um, like really, I, and you know, again, yeah, I don't want to like say that. Oh, she got that out of Greek tragedy. Like, I'm not saying anything like that. Maybe she just is an instinctively good storyteller. Maybe there's something in Chinese literature. Maybe whatever. But like, mm. it's it's so well done. It's just mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Well, and that that highlights the, those reversals and how many there are really highlights a duality yes. within the novel as well. Um, you know, talking about uh, the, the idea of uh, uh, the, that duty versus the feeling um, thing that that comes pretty much straight out of uh, the chapter called Love, which starts on page 59 um, yes. in, in my book. We women are expected to love our children as soon as they leave our bodies. But who amongst us has not felt amongst, she said among, uh, has not felt disappointment at the sight of a daughter or felt the dark gloom that settles upon the mind even when holding a precious son if he does nothing but cry and makes your mother-in-law look at you as though your milk were sour. So there's that like the expectation, that duty, but the feeling that might contradict that. Um, We may love our daughters with all our hearts. There's the feeling, but we must train them through pain. We love our sons most of all, but we can never be a part of their world, the outer realm of men. So that conflict of that duty and feeling, even just within this concept of love. Um, and so there, there's that sort of duality uh, throughout the novel, really embodied by Lily and Snowflower, um, who are, you know, these old sames, mm-hmm. which gives you the the key that they are two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, that's literarily speaking anyway. Right. <laughs> that, that's how, how you should see them. Um and that, that means that there's a competition there between those two sides that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Right. It shouldn't be there, but that's where some of this plot comes in, right. that competition between them. Um, because ultimately both of those things are right. Right. If and, and maybe that's really the misunderstanding there is the misunderstanding of thinking that one has to be right and the other has to be wrong when both can be right yeah at the same time here with this this idea of the duty and the feeling they can both be right they can both be love right um at the same time yeah yeah that's an interesting point though the uh um the competition thing like Mm. and here i'm gonna yet again just like tread on at least the borderlands of very dangerous territory um i've been close friends with a lot of women um so careful yeah, the, the worst way to start a, <laughs> a, a sentence or a rant um and you know or a rant i don't know i don't know whatever okay like, it's not gonna be one sentence because i'm not charles oh, Dickens, oh, okay but it's the first the worst way to start a passage um got it anyway like you know including my wife Hopefully that's obvious, but like, um, you know, I've had a lot of, of close female friends over the years and it's like this, this idea of like 
sort of a competition between two close female friends is something mm. I've encountered in real life a lot of times. <laughs> um, even yes. even between sisters, um, you know, but but also just just like female friends who are very close. Like I recognized, you know, this this novel made me think of almost every example I've known in my life of two or more close female friends like mm-hmm. there's almost inevitably an element of competition especially maybe you grow out of it i don't know um you know especially but it's like seems like it's especially uh present the younger that you are um mm. and i i'm you know i'm not trying to say it's like oh women are this way like male friends <laughs> do versions of this also but mm-hmm. um I guess what I'm trying to say is is I think Lisa C captures something that is definitely very culturally specific but is also seems to me at least from my limited perspective seems also pretty universal. Got it. No, I I I'm with you there. And I I just want to comment this has been Ethan discussing <laughs> the female experience. I was going to say uh I and did lay this a is trap Michael busting his balls about it. <laughs> this is Michael doing what? Busting his balls about oh, it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, this is a family <laughs> podcast, so um that's that's an interesting phrase to use, but yes. <laughs> it is. It's it's phrase. It's okay. Um, I did I did lay that no, as a trap for you to try to you get did. you to comment literally anything and um, <laughs> I would almost certainly be able to trap you, but like as the master chess player that you are, you've avoided me yet again. Not chess, Mr. Spock. Poker. Um So that's yeah. the second time you've done that in these two episodes, and I feel like it's probably a Star Trek reference that I'm not getting. It, it is. It is from the Corbomite maneuver from the original series. So in the last episode, when I actually did like try to do a chess thing and ended up doing a poker thing, I was playing, pardon me, right into your hand. <laughs> yes, you were. Oh Thank you very gosh, much for I'm doing that. <laughs> so mad. I'm gonna delete this <laughs> passage, that passage, and all other passages related to chess or poker, just out of spite. <laughs> Uh, you know good luck tracking but... them all down. What? <laughs> yes. Good luck tracking them all down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought you were doing a, t- <laughs> or a poker thing and being like, "Good luck laying them all down" or something. But no, no, wasn't, I wasn't being that clever. Wasn't quite. I mean, it wasn't quite there when I did it. So. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Well, I I do want to discuss the um, reader's guide questions. Oh, there are reader's guide questions. I I think I a little bit. I read the interview between Lisa C and her mother. Is it? What? I don't have that in my book. Oh no. Uh, do you not have Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C a reader's guide? Yes. Okay, go to the title page of that. Now turn the page. Turn the page. Do you what what is what does the next page say to you? And that is a note about the writing of Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Oh. Wait, do I have that? So you have something else in there? Um Okay, yes, I do. You got me the deluxe edition. Because I do have that, um, and I think I I'm pretty sure I read that. But before that, I have 
a conversation with Lisa C. and her mother, author Carolyn C., which is... Oh, cool. I don't think we have time to get into it in the last, you know, 12 minutes of what we're doing here. It's so good. It's so Uh, good. Well, send me pictures of it or something. Yeah, I will either do that or, like, just swap copies with you or something. But, yes. That's... That sounds good. Okay, so I have a note about the writing. Uh, okay, I have questions for discussion. I assume that's what Questions you're... for discussion. Do you have 12 questions? Because I have 12 questions. Uh, yes, I have 12 questions. All right. Um, I'm going to allot 15 seconds per question <laughs> here. For both of us or uh, for just... For, Are you asking... For me? each of us. Okay, yes. That's... Well, I... I, I... I, I guess, it, yeah, e- each of us, if, if we want to spend that much breath sure. on answering any of these. So, uh, Speed round. We, we, can, we can alternate. I'm going to ask you. You can ask me if you want to. Okay. Um, you can jump around if you want. Um, I'm going to start by asking question number one to you, and you have 15 seconds. And if you want me to answer, feel free. Otherwise, just you know, move on to the next. All right. Yes. I, <laughs> I have my answer to question one locked and loaded, so... All right. <laughs> Good. All right, here we go. Uh, number one, in your opinion, is Lily, who is the narrator, the heroine or the villain? What are her flaws and her strengths? Don't care. Question two. Do you think... <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Fantastic, yes. Thank you. To be Absolutely. fair, to be fair, what are her flaws and her strengths could be a fruitful question, but that first question, yeah. don't care. Um No, don't care. Michael, that's 15 seconds. Thank (laughs) you. Do you think the concept of old sames exists today? (laughs) Michael, do you have an old same or are you part of a sworn sisterhood? (laughs) Michael, in what ways are those relationships similar or different from the ones in 19th century China? So, okay. Now, now just I I I want to fully contextualize the question before your 15 seconds begins so you don't waste mm. it. Um Yes. Like so in these concepts that we're asking you if you have that are from a historical period. <laughs> and if you have them and a foreign a completely foreign culture and period and language. But if you have those concepts, how are they different from <laughs> the ones in the period culture and language that we are stealing them from 15 seconds Uh, um i think you have answered the question within the question (laughs) besides the fact that i'm a man (laughs) and that's the end okay you have a sister or more than one yeah i have a sister whatever just one yeah yeah she's probably listening to this episode because this is she she's the one who introduced me to this book oh nice Um, thank you so there you go um all right number three ethan some men in 19th century china apparently knew about new shoe the secret woman's writing and described in snowflower that's a sentence not a question yes why do you think they tolerated such private communication uh number one i see no textual evidence that they did know maybe it's there Mm -hmm. and i missed it but like there's like one sentence or maybe a paragraph that's like uh did they actually just notice and ignore us sure um my answer to the only question in this uh conglomeration of words is i don't know they probably had better (laughs) things to think about 
And I don't mean better things, like, things that they thought were better yeah. to think about. No, no, I, I understand your meaning. Yeah, that's fine. Or maybe <laughs> when you're, you know, your wife has a secret language that makes her happy, maybe you don't need to brutally oppress that, and maybe you just let her have that. Because she has very little in this, like, pretty frickin' patriarchal society that you're in. <laughs> right. Oh, alright, your turn to ask me. Oh, yes. Lily writes her story so that Snowflower can read it in the afterworld. Do you think she tells her story in a convincing way so that Snowflower can forgive and understand? Do you think Snowflower would have told the story differently? Okay, now I think this is actually a semi-interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, amongst the reading guide questions, this one's up there. This one's actually like, I don't want to just make fun of this one. Yeah, it's um, like four out of ten. Because it's, yeah, four out of ten, you know. So because, like, okay, Snow uh, Snowflower is dead. And Lily is writing this to Snowflower as her defense testimony. So it's... That's that's sort of at the heart of the question. Is yeah. this written in such a way that Snowflower can understand it or forgive it? At least understand it, if not forgive it. Um, Snowflower's perspective on this. How would Snowflower write it differently? Ah, uh, I, I'm, you know, that's a thought experiment. I'm maybe a little less interested in. I mean, because I think the answer is yes, inherently, because yes, she's a different person. Yes. Like, right. Absolutely, she would have. So the answer is yes there. So that's not a good question at the, the last part one, there. Like the first question is maybe decent. The first question could have some, some interesting discussion there. Yeah, we there. could actually discuss um, that one for 25 minutes. Yeah. Right. We can also but discuss we're not what, going to. We can also discuss what the definition of four is for 25 minutes. So Yes, you know. yes, <laughs> we absolutely could. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, question number five. When Lily and Snowflower are girls, they have one intimate, almost erotic moment together. Do you think their relationship was sexual or, given the times, were they simply girls who saw this only as an innocent extension of their friendship? Okay, that's that's actually, that's like five out of ten. That's a little bit interesting of a question because yes, when I read that scene, I and there had been like some vague stuff before about like, like oh what snowflower and i shared was was secret mm-hmm. and we didn't tell anyone or something and i was like oh okay this is gonna be a lesbian novel or at least like a bisexual novel. right i genuinely thought that after reading this scene um mm-hmm. i my i don't think there's any reason to believe beyond that scene that their relationship was sexual because i think right. that given that this is a novel written to be read by um people who have died and then burned like i think that if it was sexual i think that our narrator is in a position to just say it was sexual yes or at least hint at it at all and she doesn't do either of those things right and i'm i'm exactly with you i had the same impression about that scene um and then it was i don't know not totally it wasn't explored beyond that. Yeah. Uh, however, what I will say is I think um, Lisa C. did deliberately write it in such a way that it could be interpreted that way. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to read it that way, maybe you could get something beyond uh, the rest of it out of out of this novel. Like maybe you could understand it um, as a more... Um, 
Yeah, well, you know, the way that uh, um, Lily understands Snowflower's quote-unquote betrayal as tantamount to adultery, yeah. you know, you could read more into that. Almost the way people sometimes will read um, homosexual sort of uh, understandings into Shakespeare. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think, like, to read homosexual understandings into Shakespeare is more legitimate than it would be into this novel. Partly okay. because, like, context is so key here. If Shakespeare mm. was writing about homosexuality, like, to just put it in those general or vague of terms... He would right. have had to code it. He couldn't oh, have yes. just put it in, in his play. Whereas Lisa right. C, in this novel, in our context, could easily have just put it on the page explicitly. And even within the cons- constraints of her narrative, she could have put it on her page explicitly because it was not, like, in the world of the narrative, it's it's a narrative to be read by... I keep wanting to say ghosts. I know that's probably not, like ghosts you know it's fine it, it's probably not culturally speaking exactly dead people the same. yeah it's to be read by dead people and then burned like if she right. if she and uh snowflower had you know uh done the thing she could have just said we did the thing or again we she could have um hinted at it ever again like that was because once that scene happened i was looking for hints that anything like uh-huh. that happened ever again, and I didn't yeah. see them. So my conclusion no. about that scene was that uh, it's in there to show the level of intimacy that they were at, to um, mm-hmm. sort of uh, hype up or or you know really really foreshadow and then and then make more intense the betrayal that happens later. Um, yes. So it's like. Yes, this was a. I don't think this was a sexual relationship beyond, however you want to interpret that specific scene. Right. But it's it's in there to emphasize that like this is a betrayal on the level of, you know, a- adultery, like which is a word you used right. earlier. Um, not even in this context. Right. That's um, that's my interpretation. I think that is exactly a devil's advocate. Yeah. Um. For, for, you know, why uh, Lisa C. didn't have to encode it in here and why even the narrator didn't have to encode it um, is they're still culturally bound. Right. Um, that And so, like, even within that cultural bondage, um, so to speak, uh, they're, that mentally, emotionally might still cause that uh, yeah. to be restrained within the narrative itself. And I have... I, That's I devil's res- advocate. <laughs> was it? I, I agree with everything you said. Right. Because um, I, I don't think it goes beyond that. I think exactly your your interpretation is correct. So there, Nate. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's my devil's advocate point on, on that. I could respect someone who legitimately agreed with your devil's advocate point. Like, I think that's... Sure. That's fine. Um, yeah, my main thing to hit back against them would be like, even if that were a thing anywhere in the rest of the novel, you'd have them like mm. waking up naked next to each other or just something. I think they do. Do they? Don't they? 
I think they do. I didn't like, but did, it's it's like it. it's it, it's not just like a random. They wake up naked, but it's like they're they're it, as part of their um you know that's that's the tradition of the the Lao Tong um, sure. thing. Yeah, I don't know. They, I just feel like there would be I don't know more. It, it's it's it, it's it's not coded with any sort of sexual undertones at all. Yeah. Whenever it comes up again. Yeah, I think there would be more if Lisa C. had meant that to be a thing. Again, like, it, it's just yeah, ambiguous enough that I'm willing to say, like, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you uh, on that, too. And, and I'm also, uh, I, I would also agree that anyone who legitimately wanted to inter- interpret it that way, I wouldn't feel... Like it was completely bound to argue with them about that point. Like, okay, you can interpret it that way. Not the point. Yeah. So based on how long we've discussed that question, I think it's a pretty good one. That's actually like, I'm upset how like much discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm mad at, at, at how, how much we could talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to go on to the next, next one? Yeah, I guess. You can you can jump around if you want. If you don't well, like that one, you can pick a different question, one. It's just very long, and I don't want to read it all because I'm lazy. Um, sure, just read the question part because there yes. are like three sentences in the question. So it's a pretty long question basically talking about the foot binding thing. But yep. what it ends up saying, as a child, would you have fought against having your foot feet bound? Um as a mother would you have chosen to bind your daughter's feet like those that's the that's the main thrust of the question well and i'm going to answer that question by simply saying this is a cultural context that i'm not a part of yeah. <laughs> so if i were probably yes to both questions yes no it, it's, um, it's it's a stupid question in the same way that yep. like a lot of questions about you know uh, what would you have done if you were a 21st century person in this historical context are stupid like you wouldn't have been yeah excuse me raised in the same culture essentially yeah. you wouldn't be the same person so it's like what if you were a completely different person would you have done this thing it's it's impossible yeah to know. if if you were raised in georgia in the 19th century, the early 19th century, would you have chosen to own slaves? Exactly. Ethan, I'm going to put you on the spot on this. I mean, it's, again, <laughs> like, it's one of that's... those things that, like, I was kind of consciously avoiding that specific uh, question. I, that's fair. Because, yeah. like, it, it was unfair of me to put you on the no, spot. No, no, that's, that's that. fine, because I do have an answer for it, <laughs> which is part of the reason yeah. I was choosing not to, to do it. But, right. like, the thing about that is, like, there were abolitionists in Georgia in the early 19th century. Right. And I personally, yeah. being who I am today, absolutely would love to assume that I would find them and mm-hmm. support them. And even, you know, at the risk of life, limb, and property would have, you know, helped put, uh, f- you know, former slaves on the Underground Railroad and, and worked for abolition mm-hmm. and done all of that. Um but it's an almost unanswerable question, really, because it's exactly. like, if I had been, say, born into privilege, raised on a slave-owning plantation, and, 
you know, was faced with the choice of do I disrupt my entire way of life by trying to um, mm-hmm. pull the struts out from under the structure that my wealth is built upon? Or do I just do the easiest possible thing, which is nothing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like get to continue my privileged, pampered life? Like, I have no idea what I would choose. It's, it's right. you know, uh, this is a, there's sort of a cliche, I guess, about soldiers going into battle is like, no matter how much training or what your personality is, you have no idea what you will do in battle. Um, mm. People who seem like they would run away per- turn out to be the bravest people. People who, have, you know, are like hardened fighters with years and years of training, like, you know, they pee their pants the first time they're in combat. Like, that all happens. Mm-hmm. It's a similar thing trying to discuss historical context like this. You don't know what you would do unless you're in that mm-hmm. context. You hope you would exactly. have the character to do the right thing, but right. it's it's essentially impossible to know. Right. Exactly. And that's why this is a stupid question. I'm sorry that, like, this is the question I asked you and I spent the last three minutes and answering you... <laughs> it. But it's, it's, okay. it's one that's that fair. I have a lot of thoughts on. <laughs> that's good. Well, I'm going to ask you, number seven, yes. the Chinese character for Mother Love consists of two parts. One meaning pain, the other meaning love, which you would know if you read the book. Yeah. I, In your own experience. I've been thinking this whole, these whole two episodes. <laughs> In your own experience, from the perspective of a mother or a daughter, Ethan, is there an element of truth to this description of mother love? Okay, uh, earlier in this episode, about, what, uh, 23 minutes ago? 23 to 27 minutes ago? I did venture into, like, talking about how women relate to each other. Um, <laughs> in a way that I was like, fairly confident i could offer some comment on um but hopefully knowing my my limits and this is going to be the the furthering of me knowing my limits in that i have no comment at all on this set of questions (laughs) this is this is the question uh, along with uh what the earlier one was um number two question number two um where i'm like these questions weren't written for me yes (laughs) and that's actually something that like i i really love the fact that we read this novel for this this podcast or for this yeah whatever um is the fact that this is like a novel by a woman about women like Mm -hmm. this is not addressed to a woman yeah like this is not written for me at all and it honestly feels kind of like a gift that it's published sort of in a public context where i get to read it like um you know it's it's very much like me you know going into any space with you know basically any people who are not white and um american and male uh where it's like i just feel like a lot of what i should do and i said this i said a similar thing about reading the underground railroad um mm. it's just like i feel like a lot of what i should do is just shut up and try to listen and try to learn as much as mm-hmm. possible so yeah yeah that's fair i have no content or no uh 
I have no comment. <laughs> uh, Very good. Michael, the author sees Snowflower and the Secret Fan as a novel about love and regret, but do you think there's also an element of atonement in it as well? Yeah, sure, fine. Next question. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, number nine. In the story, we are told again and again that women are weak and worthless, but were they really... Wait, let me, let me try that again. But were they really... <laughs> In what ways did Lillian Snowflowers show their strength and value? Um... It's so bad. Uh, no, they weren't. And also, like, why would you think that? Why is that a question you'd ask? This is a novel about women written by a woman. We we spent 273 pages, like, just talking about these women and, like, the, the reasons they did the things they did. Like, what author or reader would spend that amount of time just on people that they thought were weak and worthless especially from an author's perspective it's like real hard to write a novel um <laughs> i don't know if people understand this but to like produce 273 pages of text that's like months if not years of work like you're not gonna oh, do yeah. that about someone who's like weak and worthless that's such a bad question that is a bad question. Real bad. Real I, bad. Yeah, I probably, you know, uh, went on too long about how bad it was, but holy cow. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay, I I think there's a one-word answer to this question, but <laughs> um, don't let that stop you. The story takes place in the 19th century and seems very far removed from our lives. For instance... I don't know if you knew this, Michael, but we don't have our feet bound, and we what? are free and mobile. Two words. Uh, two words. I don't know what the meaning of are, especially since we've already specified about not having our feet bound. Um, right. Do you think we're still bound up in other ways by career, family obligations, conventions of feminine beauty, or even by events beyond our control: war, economy, natural disasters? <laughs> Uh, once again, this question was not written for me. <laughs> oh, okay. So when I said I think um, there's a one-word answer, I was just going to say yes. And yes. And, well, that's where I was going to go. Like, first of all, this wasn't written for me. Second of all, yes. Like, yes. Uh, not, that, that one isn't a vulnerable one. That's just yes. Um, yep. Oh, I guess it's you. Yep. Sounds great. Uh, all right. Um, oh, no. No. Here's here's a lot of sentences and then two questions. Uh, because of its phonetic nature, Nushu could easily be taken out of context and be misunderstood. Today, many of us communicate through email or instant messaging. <laughs> right, Ethan? <laughs> well, instant messenger right there. Um, uh, wait, I've got to uh, set my away message to something real emo. Just hang on. I'm going to yes, come back to this yes, call in three right. minutes. Sounds good. Um have you ever had an experience where one of your messages was misunderstood because of lack of context, facial or body gestures, and tone of voice? Or no. have you ever received a message that you misinterpreted and had your feelings hurt? No. <laughs> no. Next question. No, no, no. 
Uh. Uh. Okay. Last question. Madam Wang, the watchmaker, matchmaker. Holy cow! The watchmaker. It'll be a very. She's she's the blind watchmaker. Who very makes this different novel. Um. <laughs> Madam Wang, or Wang. I don't know. I'm sorry. My. Uh. Je suis désolé. Ma. Francais mauvais. Um. <laughs> is a footbound woman and yet she does business with men. How is she different <gasps> from the other women in the story? Uh, I'm not going to let you answer that because the question answered that. It's because she does business yep. with men. Do you think she is considered a woman of status or is she merely a necessary evil? Yep. Yep. Excellent, excellent answer. It reminded me yep. of when... And I know there's sort of an adjacent internet meme about this, but when I taught um, writing, college writing, like, people would always characterize society in this very vague way of, like, you know, society thinks blah, blah, blah. Like, they would characterize society as, like, mm. this vague, nebulous, <clears throat> but, like, uh, monolithic force with specific ideas and opinions of its own Mm -hmm. um the phrasing do you think she is considered a woman of status like really excuse me reminds me of that where it's like Mm -hmm. who is she considered by you know what i mean like right like the, it, that's a passive noun, yeah, or a passive verb, and so there there needs to be there's an, an Im- agent. Yeah, there's an implied subject there that is never specified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that was okay. I'd say out of um, I'd say out of reading group guides, this one maybe gets a five out of ten. No, oh, you're you're more generous than I. I was going to say four. Okay. I feel like five so. is the highest we've ever rated a reading group guide. I could be wrong about that. I, I don't even remember what other reading group guides we've we've talked it's, about. It's been a while, so, but I feel like we've never rated one above a three or a four. That's true. That's true. Like so, this gets a five, but they're bad. Still <laughs> full of bad questions that are dumb. Yes, lots of bad questions that are dumb. Um, so Ethan, that brings us to the end of our episode talking about Snowflower and the Secret Fan. That's yes. kind of a sour note to end on as ta- as. as as far as um, discussion points go, talking about the the reading group guide here. I mean, it's um, no one, this no, podcast, so. no one lost the episode, so no punishments need to be need to be meted out. We will still be drinking this scotch, the Highland Park twelve year old Viking Honor single malt scotch whiskey, for our next set of two episodes. So we will not rate the scotch yet. We will rate it then. Yes, but. Ethan, I will ask you to rate the book, Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. On a scale of buy, borrow, forget about it, how do you rate the book? Okay, honestly, I went into this pair of episode discussions thinking I would rate it a borrow, but the more we talk about it, the more I think it's a buy. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it's it's you know it's a very, potentially a very depressing novel. Um, it's very tragic. But, like, the work that Lisa C. did and some of the stuff we didn't even touch on about, like, the history that she unearthed. Like, you mentioned some of it, but there's other Mm. stuff like the, uh, I can't remember if this is in, um, 
some of the extra stuff in uh in this edition or if it's stuff i i researched on my own but like they tell the legend of this 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 land or this people um where it's like uh in the legend like you go through a tunnel and then there's like a land on the other side that's very idyllic Mm. um like chinese archaeologists found that land and it was like where the legend said it was and lisa c was 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 like one of the first people to um uh like bring that story to western audiences as well as the whole new shoe idea like that's so interesting and so cool um right but also just like the you know it's one of those things where it's like well you don't want to if something's just going to be sort of a sort of preaching like you don't necessarily want to recommend it just on that basis but like the 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 like classical tragedy that lisa c manages to write within this uh uh setting and like it's it's very much the tragic structure in that it really lays out for you how things could have gone differently like it's not Mm -hmm. a hopeless thing it's it's in some ways almost a hopeful novel if you Mm -hmm. if you interpret it a certain way um and just the the craft skill that she brings to the table to uh, engross you in this culture in this period in this uh um setting as well as in the plot like it's it's all so well done um Mm -hmm. i'd say i'd say buy it i'd say get it and read it um, I, I've taken lately to writing down my ratings uh, sure. in my journal as I as I read, um, and I did write down buy for this one. Sure. Um, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, um, as well as just that fact that you you've you've said in previous episodes that this is a living author. Yes, I, I um, thought so of that. I didn't say it just now, but I agree. That's that. Yeah. So so she can be supported by that purchase uh and the craft itself is a reason to buy this book yeah the craft is just mind-boggling in the detail that she traveled these thousands of miles with great personal risk or and or expense and or like sacrifice um, in the just effort and sacrifice of you know hardship that she endured like that she yes didn't have to endure. yeah like that just the research work that went into this is huge yeah. um so that's that's amazing and and it's not just a book about the research right it's it's a book with characters that are real characters yeah. and mm, that's that's hard to do that's hard to do um so yes this is a buy for me yeah on on the uh the whole you know this is a living author thing like i would buy it just if it uh was any you know single chink in the wall of like her doing another book with this level of research like Mm -hmm. if i could contribute a few dollars to that like that's yes all by itself please please do again please please repeat (laughs) 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 
Oh, yes, absolutely. All right, Ethan, and now we will rate the um, pairing between the book and the scotch. Would you rate the pairing between Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. and the Highland Park 12-year-old Viking Holler single malt scotch whiskey a perfect match, pretty good match, slight mismatch, or total mismatch? Um, I'm going to rate it slight mismatch. Like, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I don't know what scotch would have been like a, <laughs> even a pretty good match let alone a perfect match for this novel um so like uh, it's not a criticism of you michael or your scotch selecting choices but like i yeah i don't i didn't really see much in this book and in the scotch that like paired well together other than like the scotch feels like it feels rainy um hmm to like start my my description of it without saying anything specific or concrete and like i don't know i feel like there's a lot of rain in this novel but like that's such a tenuous connection that like (laughs) i can't really back it up by saying anything more than a slight mismatch rather than a total one all right now how how do i say this without spoiling my rating of the scotch also um (laughs) without saying anything concrete um i i am going to rate this a perfect match oh interesting so i'm going to disagree with you ethan okay precisely because this is based totally on impressions which is kind of what the the rating is about i think this this pairing um is just the impressions yeah that this scotch and this book both have this really painful salty sort of connection okay as well as an undercurrent of a cherry sweetness to it all uh which makes me admire the craft in both and want to know more about the craft of both sure uh so I'm going to say a perfect match on this one. I'm actually like loosely tempted to revise my rating based on what you just said, but I'm not going to. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't change. No, I, don't I, change for me. Ethan. I, I don't want you to change for me. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. uh, so this concludes our discussion of Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Next time, we will be discussing The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. So read along with us, gentle listener. Give us your thoughts on either Snowflower and the Secret Fan or The End of the Affair or really anything we've discussed or haven't discussed. If there's a book that we should discuss, let us know that too. Uh, But... uh, Tell us about it. Talk to us. Uh, Go to tapestryradio.org. Find the contact section. Put Scotch Talk in the subject line to help us find the messages that you're uh, sending to us. On Twitter, find us at RoomWithScotch. On Facebook, you can join the group, the Tapestry Radio Tap House. If you request to join, we will let you in unless you're Ethan. Oh. 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 Wait That's a, minute. a joke about how Did I don't I say- have Facebook anymore, I assume. <laughs> well, I, that's not what that was, but no. <laughs> uh, yeah, that too. Um, 
Um, yes, uh, we will also do your homework. Go to our website, tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast. Fill out the form close to the top of the page. Uh, and uh, we don't promise to do a good job with your homework, but um, we'll, we'll do it. And you can hand that in to your teacher and get hauled off to plagiarism jail while we laugh at you. Um, but no, seriously, send us your homework and we'll we'll we'll, we'll have fun with it. If you like this podcast, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, the Backstage Drama Podcast, Us Play Fiasco, the Actual Play Improv Fiasco RPG Podcast, Freddy Goes to a Podcast, the Freddy the Pig Book Series Discussion Podcast, and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play Podcast. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because that will help other people find out about us uh, and uh, also enjoy what we're doing here, assuming you enjoy it, which, of course, you do. You enjoy it. Ethan, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Bjartlett. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I'm on Instagram at Captain Stormfield, all lowercase, all run together not a real captain <laughs> and i am on twitter and instagram at m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l and until next time gentle listeners just remember it's our party and we'll cry if we're forced to compare ourselves to a context that is other than our own <laughs> amazing bye bye <laughs> Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.